Welcome to another episode of Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Uh, Derek, we've been talking about canoe trips and stuff and the yearly canoe trips we make. Yes. And one of the ones that I always do is uh, Canadian Thanksgiving. Okay, yes. You're... I do my fall trip. Yep. And when we're coming out, there's usually a lot of people up there to see the fall colors. Mm-hmm. It's packed. And really it's... touristy, and everybody wants to do the, the Canadian thing and get into a canoe and try it out. Um, so when we come out, you know, depending on where we're one of the, we're usually one of the main access points. Um, we see a lot of people in canoes trying it out for the first time. And, and I mean, we've been, we're experienced. We've been doing this for many years and you see the people, mistakes people are making. Mm-hmm. So when we were talking, um, we decided we we're going to talk about some of the common paddling mistakes. And I think this, this list mostly applies to, Somebody a little bit more experienced. Uh, I don't think we, any of our list really get, covers newbie mistakes. Um, Although well, some of them might, some of I it. guess some of them do. Yeah. Some of it, but um, yeah, you know what? I mean, the people that are trying it out for the first time, yeah, they're going to make mistakes. They just don't know better. The, yeah. But then there, there's stuff that we do. I mean, whether it's just, you're just not thinking of it yes. or you just never done it. Um, that people do consider as mistakes. Yes. Um, so let's just jump into some of this stuff. The first one, and I know this is a biggie with me. Me too, me too. Unsecured gear. Now, I know when we were on the Brent Run, like if I have a day pack, I just throw it in the bottom of the canoe and off I go. Yes. But I know Mike, every portage, he clips clipped I saw, it I... onto... The thwart. I noticed that on the uh, from the Brent Run doing the, he sh- the video that I saw of his, he was he was uh, methodical about it. Very things in. Yeah, he clips stuff on. So yeah, if you tip or you roll or whatever in a river or lake, um, everything stays with the canoe. You're not wasting energy trying to track down wayward gear. Yeah, especially in a, if you're doing white water. I can see that. That's where it really matters. Because yeah, if you go over, and all your stuff goes floating down. You're chasing it down the river, mm-hmm. like for quite the ways. Yeah. And all the time that you're spending getting your canoe upright, emptying it, and you're chasing stuff down the river, whatever you're not getting right off the bat is going farther and farther and yeah. farther and farther. So, I mean, you could be spending the rest of your day chasing gear down the river, yeah. picking it up. So, I mean, you may never get back. Well, and if, if, you're, in a, if you're in a lake. Yes. And you tip, and stuff goes down. It's not floating. <laughs> it's not coming back. You you've lost it. Yeah. But yeah, you know what? That's something. That's a, a paddling mistake that I do make on when I carry le- next to nothing. I just throw it into the bottom and off I go. Mm-hmm. So tick one for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this the next one is is not something that. Um, a mistake that I make failure to scout um, and to like if, if you're going somewhere all the time um, the if, same routes yeah. if, if you're if, used to the same swift and you hit the same swift all the time it's like calm and it's like yeah well that yeah this 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 one's lineable or yeah this just run this one I always run this one yeah you especially at the beginning of the season if you're doing something again for the first time in the season and that you don't know what happened over the course of the winter, or if it's something you've done in the spring and then come fall, you're doing it again. You don't know what's happened. Somebody might've moved the rocks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Someone took out the water, but you don't know if if a tree has fallen across. And this really comes into effect more for, um, I think for rapids and stuff. Yes. You've really got to check your route. Even if it's a rapid, if you're planning on running a rapid, I think you got to get out and you got to check it. Mm-hmm. Every time, uh, that's just, I mean that's that's just my opinion. If it's if it's just a, a windy river, then feel free to to just go because what's going to happen? You're going to run into a new beaver dam, yes, or something no like concern. that. There's there's not really a concern with that. 
but if you have a freshly fallen tree over a, a, a class one or a rapids that you're, you routinely run and you're not expecting this tree, suddenly you're trying to eddy out and you've got this tree in your way and you're going to wrap the canoe or something, right? It's, it's something that, uh, especially if you know you're hitting a route for the first time in the spring and there's not a lot of scouting reports on a route. It's, uh, you should get out and check these things out to make sure that there isn't a freshly fallen tree or, or whatnot. Yeah, because otherwise you're going over, you're tipping, and you better hope, number one, your unsecured gear is secured. <laughs> <laughs> See, it all ties in. <laughs> uh, the next issue is rushing. Um, I mean, yeah, there's times where you're going to have to rush through a route if you're, you know, you need to be somewhere at a certain time, or, you know, you're on a kayak trip and you've, you're planning to be out for the day, but you're running out of time, you got to rush back sort yes. of deal, right? Um, but if you're on a canoe trip and you're rushing just for the sake of rushing, you might miss a portage on a river or something. You might fail to secure your gear. Yeah. <laughs> or you might not have enough time to scout a rapid. <laughs> you, you might hit the water and forget your sternsman. It's like, oh. Yeah. Like Mike? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Um, you find yourself in a set of rapids or something. So, I mean, if you're rushing because, you know, you want to get to a campsite or something, that's one thing, but don't rush to the point where it's not safe. Mm -hmm. You know, like keep an eye on, you know, the rapids are coming or, or there's a portage, slow down, make sure you get to the portage properly and, and, and things like that. Make sure you take the time to scout that rapid because um, it could lead into to a bigger problem. The next common paddling mistake, gear, too much or too little. Yes, and I, you know, I'm guilty sometimes of having too much gear. I very rarely am guilty of the too little problem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always over-prepare and I've got, you know, I'm always trying to remind myself after the end of a trip saying, Ugh, all that extra stuff, I got to write down the stuff that I don't use so that I can stop bringing it. Well, it's extra weight. Yes. And if you're in a group, it's also extra, um, extra gear, duplication. Yeah, you, you, you end up on a trip with a, say you got six guys, three canoes, and it's like, wow, we have five axes, four <laughs> saws, you know, we got like six tarps. It's like kind of... Three got, stoves, <laughs> plus yeah. all the appropriate It gets a little fuel. ridiculous. And, and the guys that I trip with, we often do get together, and, and me and my buddy Pierre, we will, usually it's us that's governing the trip, and we tell other people what to bring. And so we do cut down on the extra gear thing. And usually at the first day, at the first put in, we take a moment to to look through packs and say, okay, you guys don't bring that, we'll bring that. You know, it's, it's better to organize it. But when I'm just off with my wife and the kids, I'm packing everything myself and I just, I just overdo it. I have too many of this and too many of that. And I just like, oh, what if I need this? You know, like uh, it's... Uh, too much, too much, too much sometimes. Yeah, and you've also got to look at the gear, too much gear when you're bringing new people along. Mm -hmm. I know I've brought people before and they show up at the uh, the um, put-in. Um, I got all the canoes ready, everything like that, and they show up with their gear and they're bringing coolers. Oh, I know, <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, where's that going, guys? What are you going to do with that? <laughs> so, yeah. But the too little, I mean, yeah. sometimes you're, you know, last-minute canoe trip or something like that, you forget the extra paddle. That yes. sort of stuff, right? Or you forget all the paddles. Or, or you forget, <laughs> yeah. We get to the we get to the 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 put in and yes. So what are we paddling with? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, it's like I said, I always pack too much, but I, I have gone and and packed and forgot something, or but the things that you have to keep pay attention to is when it comes to too little gear, you have to make sure that you're prepared for adverse weather, like. Don't be trying to be too minimalist, not even bother bringing a tarp. Tarps are always good if you're, especially in the shoulder seasons where mm -hmm. you need that extra protection. And it's just being underprepared. Yeah, check the weather and if you know what's coming, then pack appropriately for it. You know, don't think because it's summer, it's going to be a nice day. Yes. Because sometimes it's not. Uh, next common paddling mistake. Time and distance estimation. You, especially, this is one that I'm thinking is towards newer people that are paddling. I've they made this mistake too, and I'm pretty well, yeah, experienced. Yeah, but, yeah, but I'm, I'm thinking a lot of newer people are going to make this. Absolutely. They don't know how far they can paddle in a day, be it canoe, and it's kayak. it's so hard to judge. Stand up paddleboard. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
yeah, it, it's hard to judge that. You know, this is how long it's going to take you to paddle X amount of kilometers. Exactly. Right? Uh, you, you've got to, and that's something that comes over experience. Now, when we look at Jeffrey's maps. Um, that's amazing that he's added that to his maps. Yeah, there's actually the distance time calculations yes. on his portage routes. Uh, it'll show right on the map. It'll, it should take you three and a half hours to paddle from this point to the next point. And he bases it on the average paddler, not the expert paddler, yeah. not the newbie paddler, but the average paddler. So you yeah. gauge what you're capable of. And if he says for the average paddler, three hours, 15 minutes for a section of, of uh, lake and river, then you know, okay, well, then maybe I'll do that in three hours or two and a half. Or if you're having a slow week, maybe, maybe you're going to say, oh, you know what, I guess that'll take me four and a half hours. That's really good that Jeff has added that to his maps. Definitely is. And the other thing is starting a route too late. Like, you you know, you, there's one thing about, yeah, I'm going to go out for a quick paddle after work. But you got to... <laughs> keep in mind it's going to get mind, dark. It's going to get dark. Yeah. You know, you got to know your, your sunset and times and... And uh, the distances and stuff yes. like that, so you can be be safe anyway. Uh, underestimating the skill level in the group that can be tough. You know what you can do, yes. And if you're paddling with somebody all the time, you know what they can do. Mm -hmm. But if you're with somebody, you know, you've invited somebody on a on a day trip or something that's you've never paddled with before, or maybe once, twice. Mm -hmm. You don't know totally what they're capable of. And this is, isn't just about physical capabilities. This could be like skill levels or endurance yeah. level or strength or even mental fortitude. Some people just can't take the, uh, the being away from their electronics or who knows what, right? So yeah. you have to be careful to gauge the, the strength of your groups. Definitely, because that, that could lead into problems. And I, I mean, it could lead into trips ending early, mm -hmm. right? And this must be tough for like... Uh, for like black feather and people who do these uh, the, these group trips, the guided trips, guided trips, where you have somebody who you have no idea what they're about or like, and suddenly you're going off into the in northern part of Ontario or somewheres, and it's like, oh, who do we have this week? Type thing. So I imagine that would be tough. Yeah, especially if it's it's not a easy, you know, hey, come and pick us up, exactly, sort of thing, you know, because there is no coming to pick you up, northern yep. Quebec and and whatnot, you paddle in, you've got to paddle out, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, definitely the skill levels, the endurance, strength, mental fortitude, general abilities of the people in your group, you've definitely got to have a good good idea of that. Um, poor and inadequate gear. Yes, and I've, just in the years of me tripping and camping and paddling, I've learned a lot of lessons over time about the quality of items that you buy. Yes. Well, and we we talked before. Uh, I think it was last week's show. Um, on my my top ten things I don't like about canoe tripping list <laughs> was one of the, is the nighttime uh, rains because of when I first started getting into it yep. all. Is you know yeah I had a cheap tent. Yes. And I ended up flooding a yep. few times. And uh, yeah, so I mean that's then over time I knew oh this is the kind of tent I need and and that sort of stuff and so yeah I mean that's that could be. A new, new uh, paddler's my mistake, and it could also be yeah an older one. But it's again, it's an experience thing. My brother, he uh, he moved to Ontario recently, well in the last four years, and uh, when he first got here, like so, he's not used to a lot of this camping, and so he went out and to Walmart and bought himself a, a kit. It was like a couple sleep bags, a couple chairs, a couple pillows, and a tent, and it was like ninety nine dollars. And I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, whoa, $99 for all of this stuff? Anyways, he, on his first night, he got some rain, and he said water came through the tent at every possible spot. And they ended up, they were at a campground, they ended up going to the check-in place, and they they rented a cabin for the rest of the week. So they, they never, they used the tent for half of one night. They just, it was unusable in the rain. Wow. And that's where you get inadequate gear, right? Yep. Don't think that you're going to, oh, you know, I'm going to save some money and buy this cheapo tent. It's it's sometimes you have to really pay attention to where you spend your money. Yeah, and I mean, that goes right down to like footwear and clothing. You know, Absolutely. If you're, if you're just doing a day trip or whatever, hanging around one lake um, in a canoe or a kayak or stand-up paddle, I mean, stand-up paddleboard, I don't know that you even wear shoes. Yeah. Um, so maybe flip-flops you know, yeah. would be fine. Yeah. But if you're going 
portaging through a bunch of, you know, uh, hardly used portages yeah. that you may have to end up bushwhacking. You're not wanting a pair of flip-flops. Exactly. A rocky Unless you're portage. Into that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So a rocky portage that's rough with boulders and ankle biters and stuff like that, like that's not the place to have flip-flops. No. They're going to fail on you and then you're going to be barefoot. Yeah. And that's something, again, you know, you may make those common mistakes the first few times, but uh, you learn quickly. You learn quickly. Yep. Uh, directional devices. Common mistake. Yes. We always, I, I think nowadays, like, I know when I first started tripping camping, it was like a map and compass. And I learned, I did all the skills for reading map and triangulating and, and how to read topographical maps. Everybody nowadays relies way too heavily on their electronic gadgets. Yeah, GPS. And, and batteries phones. fail, you're left with nothing. So I always I always make sure that I have a backup map and compass. Well, even with the GPS, like, I mean, I have the Algonquin Park map in my GPS. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, it's got it's so detailed, it takes up a lot of the, the memory. Yeah. So if I want to go to Quetico, oh, you're instance, delete it all. I take all that out yeah. and I put in the Quetico map. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you're checking this stuff before you go because you don't want to get to Quetico and realize, oh man, I forgot to take out my Algonquin Park map. Yeah. You know, um, and then you don't have your, mm -hmm. a paper map or, or whatever of the area. Then what are you going to do? Yeah. I tend to be old school. I, I don't rely on any electronic devices. No, I like the map. I like the paper map yep. right in front of me that I can fold and fold out and... And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm old school that way as well. But it's it's a common paddling mistake that, that it happens. Is. And it, I think it's just because of technology nowadays. We get used to certain things. We get used to the GPS. And, and I, I've camped with people who relied heavily on GPS maps on their cell phone. And, and then they, you know, the battery dies. And it's like, well, it's a good thing I have a map. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly it. And when, uh, like, and the last one here that we've covered sort of before is late start for long days. Yes. I mean, this is, this is, I think, more for the canoe tripping than anything. You know, you get up late and then you dilly-dally around tearing down camp. Yeah. And you have your breakfast and you pack and you get it. And it, yeah, you're on the water by 11 in the morning. Yeah. So hit the water got, at the crack of 1030. <laughs> yeah, you've got a nine hour, 10 hour day of paddling. Well, that's, it's a, it's a, it's a, I've done it in a few times, just misunderstanding or misstating the distance that I have to cover that day. And it's a pain to set up your tent in the dark. You're running around with headlamps or flashlights, trying to set up a tent, trying to figure out where the bear hang tree is. It's, it's not good. It's an uncomfortable position to be in. Well, and the other thing is when you're heading towards lakes that, you know, there's, it's a popular area. Oh yeah. Trying if you're, if a... you're getting there at seven o'clock at night, good luck at getting yeah. a decent spot. You're going to be picking what's left over. Or somebody else has done the same sort of thing and all of a sudden they, oh, we've got a camp on this lake. Yeah. Well then there is no campsites left exactly. on that lake and you're stuck. Yeah. You know? So yeah. So those are just some of the common paddling mistakes people make that, you know, you just got to keep your eye out for and, uh, try not to make. And like I say, it's not just new people that make them. Yeah. It'll be experienced people that this is going to turn around and bite them too. It's, it's something that you have to be cognizant of as you plan and do trips and just to be aware of it, to avoid any pitfalls. Speaking of pitfalls and trips that you want to make, let's take a quick break here. And when you get back, you're going to tell us about a nice paddling location. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka and Halliburton. 
wanted to talk this week, Sean. Uh, we're going to try and do these uh, paddling destination talks. Yep. So I thought I would like to mention Johnstone Strait. That's now, West Coast, is it not? That is West Coast. So that the Johnstone Strait is located between Vancouver Island and the mainland. And uh, this area is, it's a, it's a very popular area. It's in the, uh, the Broughton, the biggest part is the Broughton Archipelago Marine Provincial Park. And the Johnstone Strait, it's like, a, it's about 110 kilometer long strait. It's just, it's on the north end of the, of, uh, of Discovery Passage. So the Johnstone Strait, for the whole length of it, there's, there's no, there's no towns or cities or nothing. It's just, it's just an empty area with just animals and trees, right? Right. So at the north end of the Johnstone Strait is Telegraph Cove, one of the, one of the first populated areas and just off of telegraph cove is the broughton archipelago marine Provincial park so it's a very popular area for like kayakers and whale watching tours and whatnot there's a there's a lot of wildlife in the area and so a lot of people do migrate to that area and depending on how much time you have to to investigate and enjoy the area it really depends on how far into the provincial park you can get yeah, when you look at the map, you, you see that it's a lot of big islands and small islands. So it's it varies on on the islands, but it there is a lot vary. of them. There's there's a lot of long passages to get across, and uh, most people it's most commonly used by kayakers. But uh, I, there's a, people use canoes in the area too. It's just you know if you have a decent splash skirt or if you watch your travel times or you watch the weather, then a canoe should be perfectly fine in the area. Yeah, it definitely looks like a sea kayak. Uh... It definitely Prime is. spot. It definitely is. And for the most part, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see people in sea kayaks, like 18, 20 footers, and, and or you're going to see a lot of whale watching boats in that area too. Yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with the area, but I've not paddled in the area. So it's a, but it is, it's a very nice area. Like anywhere's out on the West Coast, Vancouver Island, it's, the whole area is just beautiful. It's something that uh, anybody should make a goal of, uh, make it a trip out there to enjoy the West Coast, the West Coast life, the West Coast weather. It's, uh, it's very nice out there. Yeah, it, it's definitely a spot. I mean, you hear a lot about out, out there, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of the, the, parks and stuff that are out there as oh, well it's, it's fantastic it's just beautiful out there you get the old uh, the old growth forest Sitka spruces it's just it's just amazing to be out in that area and be on the water in that area mm -hmm. and for anybody who's used to lake and river travel one thing that you really have to get used to is that there's uh anything out on the ocean and a lot of people may not kind of key into that but it, you're talking tidal, like you're talking about the uh, the uh, the ebb and flow, like uh, flood tides, ebb tides. You got to time all some passages for slack tides. Is you're not just fighting headwinds. You might be fighting tides. You could use the tide flow to your advantage to help you. It'll push you into an area as you paddle. But if you're fighting a headwind and you have a tide going the wrong direction, and you're basically at a standstill or losing ground, right? So you have to. Uh, you're going to have to be prepared for this. Like it's, and it's, it's not inland paddling. It's not inland paddling. And so all of these, all of these waterways in between the island and Johnson Strait, Discovery Passage, it, like uh, off the Juan de Fuca, there's, there's all these areas is very popular with sea kayakers, but you quickly learn to get to know your tides. And if you're going to be going in this area, you need to prepare yourself either by talking to outfitters or maybe going on an organized uh, trip, a uh, kayaking trip with an outfitter and they'll take care of the details. So they would have uh, some of the emergency stuff that you should always have like GPS, uh, VHF radios for listening to weather alerts and VHF radios. They also have the um, vehicle traffic services. So that give, because this is a heavily uh, applied area for for shipping traffic right so you have shipping traffic but there's also it's very popular with uh cruise lines so you know at any given point you could be having cruise ships passing by and they throw off quite a wake so you have to be prepared to avoid the wake of these ships so it's and i lived on the on the west coast for about five years so i kind of got used to this and kayaking some of the other areas around vancouver island but 
I, you quickly learn, and it's kind of sort of stuff that kind of sits in the back of your head about, you know, stuff to pay, take precautions about, right? Because, you know, you're in big open water. So if you're, if, if somebody from Ontario is heading out that way, say, and they're looking to do some tripping out there for a couple of weeks, it might be in their best interest to hook up with an outfitter and do a day trip or something. Exactly. And so, and they can prepare you for, and let you know, they, they usually the outfitters will walk you through, and I've done this a few times, they'll, they'll cover off the dangers, anything that they're, they, they even talk about, well, we're going to be having to do this, this passage between the islands at a certain time, because that's when the ebb tide, or the, when the uh, slack tide is. So they, they take care of a lot of the details that the average person, for example, from Ontario is not going to be thinking about, Right. Right. So it's uh, but the, so I'm I'm covering a lot of concerns and and uh, stuff to watch out for, and I haven't even talked about the Johnson Strait yet. so the Strait itself is like a, you're on the Pacific Ocean, you know, west coast of Canada. There's uh, it's cold water, so it generally year round you're talking three to six degrees, and you don't really get water warming until you get into the shallows and stuff. So you, you have to be concerned about with, uh, if you flip or tumble into the water, you, you're going to have to have a, a dry suit. So you're going to be prepared for that. Like, uh, I've got away a lot of times with, uh, without a dry suit on the West coast, but that's only on inland, like, or narrow passages where I'm very close to land. If you're going to be leaving, Anywhere where you are not comfortable swim back to shore, you have to have a dry suit. The water is very cold. You have to appreciate the temperature of the water. But to the, the concerns and the stuff that you cover off to prepare for a trip like this are well worth it. For example, in the Johnstone Strait and at the north end of the Johnstone Strait where the, in the Marine Provincial Park, there's a lot of wildlife. You're talking multitudes of uh, of birds and waterfowl and you know bald eagles uh, in the water you got seals and and whales like uh, orcas killer whales and and whatnot that you're going to see uh, i know in this area there's uh in doing some of the research and just knowing what's in the area there's i think there's like uh there's a pod of about 150 uh killer whales that do summer in this area so in the winter they head south off of uh, california but in the in the summer, when things warm up, they they come up north, and there's a pod that routinely, regularly spends their entire summer in the Johnstone Street. It's like their summer home type thing, right? So there's a good chance if you're looking for, if you want to see some whales, you're going to see some in this area. Yeah, wow. Unless you are unlucky enough to have bad weather, you get windbound, shorebound. But if you're out in the water, you're going to see you're going to see some whales. You're going to see. Uh, whales and porpoises uh, breaching and stuff like that. It's uh, cool. it, it's very populated with uh, with wildlife, and and you get the solitude. Like if you if you only have a few days, you only get out of uh, and so most trips most people start at Telegraph Cove, and from Telegraph Cove you can cross a straight Hanson Island is the first island, and that's where a lot of the marine traffic uh, cruise ships cross between Telegraph Cove and Hanson Island. So. But around Hanson Island, because of the ebb and flow of tides, you you really need some time to get into and investigate the area because you have to time the tides. But once you get into the Marine Provincial Park, if you had a week or two or a month, if possible, to get into and investigate all of these islands, there's so many islands. And the islands are good, the, all the islands in this area, for the fact that you can island hop. If you're going to be, if, if there any wind pops up and usually uh, in this area, it, like winds will crop up in the afternoon, right? So depending on the sun and the weather and stuff like that, even on a good day, just the actions of the sunlight and, and whatnot will create these winds that whip down through this area because Vancouver Island is surprisingly tall. And so it creates an alleyway between the mountains on the mainland and the mountains on Vancouver Island. So you have to expect to try to get off the water by about one in the afternoon. And if you can't do that, then a lot of the smaller islands, you can island hop in and shoot between islands. And uh, just so you're only short exposures to the wind. And uh, it, it is, 
it is a long distance to get into the marine park, but the further you go, like any park, like any area where you go, the further you go, the fewer people you're going to see and the more wildlife you're going to see. Yeah, just looking at this, it's I think about five kilometers from Telegraph Cove to Hanson Island. To Hanson Island. Yeah. So and that's that's five kilometers of almost a five kilometers of wide open water. Exactly. And it's just not a simple thing of, oh, I got to paddle five kilometers. You have to consider any winds. You have to consider what the tide is doing. So you got to have your tide tables and you should have a decent VHF radio with, uh, you can have weather, they provide weather reports as well as uh, vehicle traffic services. So you know if there's any cruise ships passing through. So with all that to arm yourself for knowledge for the crossing, and depending on weather, then you're going to have a, a quick five kilometer trip over passing Hanson Island. And then that gets you into a lot of the islands in and around the uh, Marine Provincial Park. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's, it is a, again, I, I've been through the area, but not paddling through the area. And it is a beautiful area. Uh, I used to be in the, in the Canadian Navy and I would take go on, uh, on minesweepers and we'd pass through these areas as we passed up and down the uh discovery uh discovery passage at johnson Strait. it's uh i've been through the area quite a few times working type thing but it's uh it's just so dramatic the area the the air is so clean smelling and everything is just amazing looking in the area so just to be in the area it's fantastic and it's worth it to go through the trouble but just give yourself time to enjoy it like you're not going to fly all the way out to BC and, and do a three-day weekend. Uh, you're not going to paddle very far. But if you can give yourself two weeks, maybe get on with an outfitter and a guided trip that they can, uh, like some of the outfitters will will uh, ferry people out by boat and then you can paddle deep into the park without having to worry about crossing through any high traffic areas with cruise ships and and uh, and whatnot. So like a water taxi. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like a water taxi, it's, but it's the outfitters provided themselves. So it's a lot of the outfitters they do whale watching as well as uh, as outfitting for tours. And so you know, early in the day, you'll take a whale watching boat. They'll take you and your boats out into the marine park and uh, shoot back, and then start doing the whale watching tours all day. And then you're safely out into the into the park and. And if you're guided, they'll uh, they'll show you where you're going. And a lot of the outfitters will even arrange for meals and whatnot. But it depends on what level that you're trying to enjoy of the park. Right. So, but like I said, there's there's concerns. You know, the weather, the cold water, the wind, the tides. You have to be concerned about the tides. And that's something that you really, it takes a mind shift to really think about the tides. Because if you're not used to coastal paddling, you can really not appreciate the dangers and the risks of and the difficulties that tides will bring up. Yeah, that's definitely something you'd have to wrap your head around. Oh, absolutely. Especially if you're from, I mean, the middle of the country and yeah. you're not dealing with that. Yeah, exactly. We don't have tides here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so considering you're paddling in the area and what you can see, you know, if, you know, if you all early starts off the water by one to avoid some of the heaviest winds, you know, they can be, you know, 30 knot winds and stuff. So, you know, have a decent book with you. You're some afternoon downtime, you know, like, like I said earlier, you know, if you, you have, you know, one of the gear items that I like to have is uh, a decent book or magazine to take up the time in the afternoon. And uh, if you're going to be in the area, like, for example, uh, whale watching, if that's what you choose to do, make sure you have something for motion sickness because the water does get rough in this area. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at some of the pictures and that that you can find on the internet and just the scenery is astounding. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. Once you get into the islands and all that. It's staggering. It is. It's like, wow, it really mm -hmm. is. So again, uh, one thing that I would, uh, in closing, one thing I would like to mention is that it's it's a good idea if you're going to do a trip like this. You, you can outfitters will rent them to you, like VHF radios, or you can buy your own. They're like, oh, like they they're less than two hundred bucks. You can get them between a hundred and hundred and eighty dollars, and that provides you with your weather radio alerts. And so there are certain channels that just constantly loop through the current weather and forecast. And uh, with uh, it's all marine based, right? So this whole area, there's uh, all these channels. There's a, I think most marine out this area, that area have like eight or ten weather marine weather channels that you can listen to depending on your location. 
as well as the vehicle traffic service. And again, that's on a loop and they'll say, you know, there's uh, there's two cruise ships coming through the Johnstone Strait at like quarter after five in the morning, going to be passing Hanson Island type thing. And, the, and that's sort of the, it's a weather traffic service that they provide on in marine environments. That would be something else that you got to take into account for. I mean, we know here what to expect weather-wise. Yes. You know, like what bigger lakes and what they, what happens with the wind in the afternoons usually on some of the lakes in Algonquin and stuff like that. But as well as the tides out that way, you're not used to how their weather changes on no, a daily basis. And what, marine weather, like if you're talking ocean weather and stuff like that, uh, like in, in the in the passages between Vancouver Island and the mainland, weather can change really fast. Yeah. It's because you don't, you may not have the distance to see that a weather, that the, a storm is brewing because you're, it's, everything's hidden behind mountains. And so a weather front could channel through down the channel and turn the corner. And it's like, Oh, I didn't even notice that coming. And suddenly you're in, you're in the middle of a heavy blow with a lot of rain. And so you got to be, prepared for hunkering down suddenly surprisingly and finding a beach to uh, go up to and and set up camp for the night type thing yeah definitely it's it's total different type of uh, paddling and and tripping than than we'd be used to here Um, definitely a lot of research would be needed but yeah it definitely sounds like something that you'd want to maybe hook up with an outfitter to get the maximum knowledge or somebody that's been out there before like I say, if, if you are heading that way, maybe it's worth doing a, a day trip with somebody and just to get a feel for it before you go off on on your own for a, a week or two, right? Yes. And even myself, having kayaked out west uh, with sea kayaks, if I were to go back out, I, I haven't been out there in uh, 15 years, I definitely would take a few days just to do a few uh, sea kayaking runs locally, maybe out of Victoria and just get used to it again and and just so that you're prepared because it, sea kayaking is completely different from canoeing it's uh i find it uncomfortable a lot of people other people find that there's nothing more comfortable than a sea kayak but it's uh depends on how your back can handle things right mm-hmm. so it's it's one of those things you and even if you're old to it or new to it you have to prepare and be aware of the conditions that you're going to be exposed to Yes, yeah, definitely takes some research and planning ahead, that's for sure. And Absolutely. Uh, if you're not into the kayaking, I'm sure it's doable by canoe, just put this, the skirts on. and It is. It's, it's very doable by canoe, but you also have to be a little bit more prepared for that, especially if you're in a canoe, I'd have a dry suit. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the yeah, shipping going by or fishing boats or cruise ships, it's they throw off a wake and, and, and with the tides, you know, if you have a, a, a flood tide going between islands, you could have suddenly from flat water within about half an hour, you could have white water between islands as, as these tides and you get uh, rip, uh, tidal rip currents going off between these islands. And so you could be you could find yourself twisting in the water, not un- unexpectedly, because you can't always see these riptides, but, you know, suddenly the, the front end of your kayak is going north and the south end, the other end of the kayak is going south and it spins you, right? So yeah. it's one of those things you have to be prepared for, for being in tidal waters. Wow. Sounds like fun. It It is fun. It's and I guess I'm kind of almost making it out to be a scary thing, but I also don't want to, you know, advise people to go to someplace and then get surprised by the the dangers involved but all of these all of these uh difficulties that you come come across it's well worth it because it's just breathtaking to be in these island areas uh off of uh, vancouver island off the mainland it's a it's an absolutely beautiful area and i would strongly advise everybody take a chance and go you are listening to paddling adventures radio on reno viola outdoors Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. Derek, we've been paddling for quite a number of years. Uh, a couple of years ago, I bought a brand new uh, Swift Osprey solo canoe. And recently, I have bought a new um, Swift Prospector. Okay. Before that, 
I had a big green beastie, big freighter beastie, fiberglass, a billion and one pounds, um, you know. Well, that's being retired. It is actually going to somebody's cottage to become a cottage canoe now. Ah. Because it's it's days in um, canoe tripping have come to an end. It's a beater that's going to become a farm truck. Yeah, pretty much. And with it is going my old paddles. Oh, okay. So it is time to buy new paddles. And researching paddles, it's not something I buy all the time. So, you know, there's things that you, you know, you do once and then 20 years later you do it again or 10 years later, mm -hmm. whenever you do it again. And you got to remember, well, how do I measure my canoe paddle to fit me to what I'm doing? Yeah, I've always wondered about that. Like, uh, for me, I've just kind of bought the paddles and said, oh, this seems right. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's exactly it. I mean, I, I have a couple of, you know, wider paddles that I bought ages ago. Um, I bought like a couple otter tail, beaver tail paddles, um, that sort of stuff over the years. But uh, I haven't actually bought a paddle in, in quite the while. So I was looking through it. Most paddles for canoes are 52 to 60 inches in length. Okay. Okay. Unless it's a bench shaft, right? Unless it's a bench shaft. Yeah, and then they're shorter because, you know, wider blades. And they're 48 to 54 inches. Yeah. So somewhere in there. To, cho to, to choose your paddle when you're measuring, if you're on the water, which is uh, kind of odd to me because who's going to let you test a paddle before you buy it? <laughs> yes. Sit inside your canoe and measure the vertical distance from your nose to the water line. So I guess that's if you don't have the paddle, right? Your nose to the waterline, however long that is, that should match the distance from the grip to the throat of the paddle. So I guess you could take that into the store and that's that's what you use. A starting point. Yeah. If you're in the store trying out a paddle, kneel down with your butt about six inches off the floor as if you were sitting in a canoe, which I think I actually sit a little bit higher than six inches. Yeah, I suppose it depends. It's because not... if I'm kneeling in the canoe... You also got to think about where the water line is on the canoe, too. Yeah, that's true. So your water line would be much higher in your canoe than it would be in mine. Yeah. Well, you hold the paddle upside down on the floor with the grip on the floor. Yeah. And the throat of the paddle should be between your chin and nose. Mm -hmm. And yeah, because of your fat ass, it'll be higher. <laughs> you just <laughs> caught that, did you? <laughs> I was going to let it go, but I couldn't. <laughs> if... If you're getting a bench shaft canoe uh, paddle, deduct two inches from this. Yes. So I guess if, if you should have a 58 regular, you'll get a 56 bent. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, then you get into the weights. Uh, lighter paddle means less fatigue during a long day of canoeing, but don't go by just the weight alone. Best paddles balance weight, strength, and flexibility. Yes. Um, there's the materials for a canoe paddle, the wood, uh, plastic and aluminum and fiberglass. Uh, the wood is, is the most common, most popular material for canoe paddles. Yeah, it's warmer on the hands and stuff. Yeah, more responsive. Um, many have, I mean, some of them are from one piece of wood, but most have a layer of fiberglass. Uh, they're, you know, when you get the fancy ones, there's, you know, different banding in it. So it's yes. made from multiple pieces. Um, you get the fiberglass over top and you get the, the very tip can be a resin or something, a resin, just uh, protect it just, from yeah. blade strikes. Yeah. Because I mean, strikes. you use it to push off on the bottom on yes. rivers and stuff like that. Uh, this adds to, yeah, just a tip guard to, to durability, right? Um, the wooden ones, every so often you've got a sand varnish to maintain the appearance unless you don't care what it looks like. Yeah. Um, like I got a couple out there that look like they've been to hell and back and, <laughs> but Hey, they work. Do you have a favorite paddle you currently have, or are you going to re just replace everything? I have a, a otter tail that I bought must be seven years ago at least now. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I, I like using that one. Um, but there's plastic and aluminum ones. They're durable. They're affordable. They make a great spare paddle. <laughs> so it's not one yes. you really want to be using all yes. the time. Fiberglass ones are rarely seen uh, unless you're doing like white water canoeing, but even and and stand up paddle boarding. Yeah, um, they're typically more expensive than than regular paddles, 
but they're lightweight, durable, and virtually maintenance-free. Whatever you do, make sure you carry a spare. Yeah, I always have a spare when I go. Yeah. Uh, the blade shape. Long and skinny blades, like uh, the beaver tail, mm -hmm. are good for cruising on lakes. Shorter, wider blades are best for rivers and shallow water. Yes. Right, so yes, when I'm on, on um, a lake, that's when I, I love having the beaver tail one there. I, I was looking at a voyageur style, which is longer and sort of tapered. Very narrow at the bottom. Yeah. I was looking at one of those. I might pick up one of those. Uh, but I do have the wider blades for river travel and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then then you got the grips. There's two basic grips. The palm grip, which is also known as a pear grip or a teardrop. And then there's the T grip, which is better for um, river travel, whitewater paddlers, that sort of yes. deal. Because it lets you grip Gives you control it. of the paddle. Yeah, and it's not spinning. Mm -hmm. Um the shaft, to me, doesn't really make a difference, in my opinion. But when you're looking at the straight shaft or the bent paddle, uh, bent shaft, um, traditional style is straight. Traditional, you know, it's great on rivers, white water, that sort of stuff. Bent paddle, um, good for flat water paddling, cruising, racing. I know Mike, Mike uh, prefers the bent shaft yeah i noticed that he even in the stern he uses the bench shaft for me yep. i prefer a straight shaft for in the stern and I, I love using the bench shaft in the bow of the boat when i'm paddling the bow it just it gives you better control over your paddle stroke length and and it seems to be I, I have more power at that position with the bench shaft so your your paddle is still almost always vertical by the time you pull it out of the water and i think that's why mike likes it and you know he likes to boogie as well right mm -hmm. so when he's doing his solos trips he just Puts the pedal to the metal and he's gone. I suppose if you get used to it at the stern, the bent shaft, you'd be some. You'd have to be grow accustomed to it. But I would find the finesse of uh, of J strokes or combination strokes with a bent shaft might be difficult to uh, to harness the usage in the stern of the boat. Yeah, unless you're used to it. Yeah, I mean, obviously hey. Mike's used to it. Yeah. So after I, I mean, so I'm making my decision based on what I read about canoes, canoe paddles, but I also went farther into looking at um, kayak paddles. And it's not much difference when it comes to some of the stuff, but there are, of course, difference because it's got two blades, it's longer. Kayak paddles range from 210 centimeters to 260. It's um, a big range. Yeah, and it, it, the correct size for you depends on the type of paddling you're doing, your height and the width of your boat. Mm -hmm. Um, there's low angle paddling, uses a relaxed style with a slower cadence. High angle paddling describes a more aggressive style with a faster cadence. Um, so that's the, you know, the, the paddle style preferred in moving water where acceleration and maneuverability are important. Okay. Uh, the height and boat width, the taller the paddler, the longer the paddle. A six foot two paddler needs... With a 26-inch wide boat, and these are just examples I got, yeah. would want a 230-centimeter long paddle for low-angle paddling. A five-foot-tall paddle with the same width boat would be happy with a 220-centimeter paddle. So, I mean, that's a 10-centimeter difference, mm -hmm. right? So that that's more than just your height that yes. you got to take into to account. And hopefully you don't have more than one boat that's mm -hmm. wider. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to have yeah. tons of blades uh, or, or paddles. Um, again, with the blade materials, fiberglass, carbon fiber, nylon, aluminum, plastic, you know, I mean, same sort of thing. Lighter the weight, the easier is paddling. However, the best paddles offer a balance of lightweight and strength. Fiberglass are popular for touring and recreational use, relatively lightweight and offer excellent durability. Carbon fiber... Paddles are great for um, heading out on multi-day trips because they're lightweight weight over mm -hmm. thousands of yeah. paddle strokes, right? The nylon aluminum plastic blades are affordable, durable, or require minimal care. They're great to be a spare paddle. Um, they're relatively heavy, and the aluminum can feel really cold in uh, cold weather. Yeah, and for for kayak paddles, I've noticed that uh, just from my experience, and I I have used a wooden paddle, uh, and you can get some really decent 
wooden kayak paddles, but with the metal shafted paddles, and especially with uh, sea kayaking, the cold translates up that metal and you need a decent rubberized grip to keep the cold off your hands. Yeah. When it comes to stand-up paddleboard paddles, the grips, materials, all that are, are all, all pretty much the same. The most crucial part of choosing one of the paddles is the right length. Too long will tire your arms as you hold them up too high. Too short will stretch your back as you paddle forward. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So paddle length greatly depends on the type of paddling you tend to do. Uh, your paddle should be 10 to 12 inches taller than you are for racing, 8 to 10 inches taller than you are for cruising on flat water, or ten sorry 6 to 8 inches taller than you for surfing. And they have adjustable paddles. So I guess oh, you can adjust okay. it to nice. whatever you're doing. So that's just some of the stuff I found out to uh, uh, when it came to getting a new paddle. And yeah, I think it's time to get a new canoe paddle. And uh, Yeah, even with all this, I think it really comes down to what you prefer and what you feel comfortable with for paddle length. Definitely. Um, I think I'll just go in and see what I like and try them. I'll be interested to see what you choose. I know there's a lot of design choices nowadays. The, the market's changed from... From my experience, it's more than just cottage-style paddles out there. There's a lot of expensive and artsy design and choices to choose from. Yeah, I, I think I'll just do my research, and what I'll what I'll do is when I figure out what I'm getting, I can post it to our Facebook page, and uh, people can can see it there as well. They can also find us on our website, uh, paddlingadventuresradio.com, and we also have Instagram. So uh, we'll see what happens. But thanks everybody for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>